it's a different view from here. And uh, I just want to thank Pastor. I call him the village pastor. And the reason being that back in Africa, the pastors in the villages would do so many visits, one-on-one visits. And um, in America, you hardly see that. Even in the cities in Nigeria, you hardly see that. But Pastor Goodluck would visit every single person in the hospital. In fact, I was stunned in September when he showed up in the hospital room where I was briefly. And I just want to thank God for him. I also want to thank God for Pastor Angela. She doesn't know this. She's probably hearing it for the first time. She is the reason why my family moved to this church. I met her. I was working for her. And something happened. I can't even remember what exactly happened. But uh, she heard about it. She felt I was offended. And she called me and apologized profusely. And when she dropped the phone, I said, it wasn't even anything. But because she was thinking in her mind that if someone has a, a, something against me or thinks that they have offended them, even if it was not an offense that I think was an offense, let me reach out to her and apologize. That day I knew I wasn't, we weren't coming here yet. We didn't have any issues yet. My husband wasn't sick. So that day I knew that this person is a Christian. So I'm going to challenge you today. I hope in your individual work out there at your jobs, people are seeing you as a Christian because it's really important. And so when we had to move churches, when we had to pick a place, I said, you know what, sweetheart, let's go try this church. I had been invited to the women's program and I had a nice time with the women. And we came. We didn't even go to another church again because we found family here. So I'm really grateful for that, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk with you guys today. It's going to be simple about my life. I was praying and asking God, what do I talk about? And I said, just tell them your story, your testimony. So it's not going to be so graphic, but I'm just going to briefly in between say some things. Let me watch the time. Okay, I think I have some time. (laughs) Let us pray in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for today. We ask, O God, that you would speak to us individually and collectively in this place. Let no man, no woman go back the way they came, bound, oppressed, tormented, sick, lame. Nobody is allowed to go back the way they came in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to be talking about the advantage of the secret place. People ask me all the time, how do you cope? How do you survive? Because, like most of you already know, uh, my husband used to be a pastor of a small church, and then he got ill. The enemy attacked him, and he got sick. So in the middle of that, we had to shut down, and then that's how we came here. When you think that that storm is really so much storm going on and the enemy decides to pack on that storm that is going on you will look around and it looks like god's missing but he's not so and i'm just going to talk briefly let's quickly define what's a secret the dictionary i had to look at the dictionary it says something not known seen or meant to be known or seen by others 
That means it's a private affair. I was in the prison ministry the other day, and unfortunately, those women in that cell were being deprived of their privacy. When we walked in there, they had to take a shower in front of us. They had to do number two in front of us. They, they didn't have any privacy. That's taken away from them. So they didn't have any secrets. There's nothing to hide there. This, a secret is something hidden, something that is not open to the public. And you're not, you, you, not going to get your gold for women. You, you're not just going to place your gold on the floor in the living room. You usually would hide it. Secret is something not known, not meant to be seen by other people, but yourself. And the place, I looked up that up also, it says it's a portion of space available or designated for or being used by someone. So it's a space, it's a place that is being used for some special purpose, a location, a place that you can go to and say this is... Uh, if you're looking for Walmart, for instance, you know Walmart is in a particular location. So it's a place. It's a location. So when we bring it down to the spiritual things, to the scriptures, what is a secret place? It's a place, I would announce to you, where you meet with God one-on-one. -on -one. It's good to come to church. It's good to lift up holy hands with other people. But it is very, very vital for you to have that one-on-one -on -one communion with God. When we first got saved, people would tell you, I mean, in part of the discipleship thing, read your Bible, pray. We tell the kids, read your devotional, pray and all that. That's all good. But you need that space, that place. Because I'm telling you, when the storms come, you will hear voices. People will say things to you. And some of them you will wonder, okay, I thought she was a Christian. Why is she talking this way? Don't blame them. They don't even know. So that's why it is important for you to find that quiet place within you. It's not a physical location where you can go to and say, it's in my room. I remember, sorry, Dad, but I'm going to say this. When, we first, when, uh, when I got saved, uh, I was the first in my family to get saved. I was, it was my first year in college, so I went all out, just the kind of things pastor describes, you know, just going all the way. I get on the bus, preach. My friends and I were like just walking all over the streets, speaking anything by faith to the people. And my parents were part of a traditional church. So they weren't saved. They weren't born again. And I knew that. So I brought my bunch of friends to the house. I said they should start preaching. And then we were praying. We were preaching. Well, my dad was very vast with the scriptures. So he brought out his Bible. So when they say one, he says the other one. He was like a table tennis tournament. And as they were doing that, eventually, bottom line, my dad got saved eventually. Fast forward. When he got saved, at the church where he got saved, they assigned, because it was like the whole family got saved same day. They assigned uh, some pastors to kind of follow up. Like we do, I guess we do follow up here with some people. And they were following him up. So they came. The first day that guy came to the house, he said, do you guys have an altar? Oh, my dad said, yes, we do. We have an altar. And was taking him towards where we, because that traditional church taught you to create a space in your home where you could pray. And he brought the guy there. And the guy said, 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking if you guys do gather together to pray as a family. That's your family altar. And so my dad said, oh, okay. We do that, but this is a place that we really dedicate to doing stuff like that. The secret place is not a physical location where you can go to. It's a a spiritual location that on the inside of you, when issues are happening, that's where you go to. Remember the story of Jesus in that storm? He was down there unaware of the storms. He was in his secret place unaware of the storms because he knew that God would not allow that boat to capsize. So he understood what it meant to commune with God. So when you're going through situations, you need to be able to get into that secret place real quick or else you will cause more problems as the days go by. And um, the concept that God is everywhere, I hear that and it's true. God is everywhere. God sees all things. God, yes, he is. But nobody has very important meetings, encounters with you in the public. If Donald Trump, the president, is going to meet with people, he would put them in a particular room. There are different rooms where they meet, and they will lock the door. It is what they want us to hear that they tell us on TV. The things they don't want you to hear, they discuss them behind closed doors. And God wants that kind of relationship with you, where you, you have that one-on-one with him, that even in the middle of the storm, you can hear him. And you don't wait for that storm to come first. Because when it comes, it will be so difficult to hear. But when it hasn't come and you've developed that rapport, like a baby in the womb, the baby knows the mother's voice. Why? Because he or she has been hearing that voice from inception. And so when the baby comes out and everybody is trying to calm the baby down, the baby is not listening. When the baby hears the mom's voice or the dad's voice, there's a calmness that comes. So when the storms come, because they will, it says when the storms come. That's what the Bible says. It didn't say if. So when they come, it is that secret place that you have established with God. That's where you run to and you can hear his voice speaking expressly to you. Go this way or go that way. And there's a guy in the scriptures. The Bible tells us in uh, Psalm 91. Um, we won't be able to read all that, but if you have time, read Psalm 91. It's a uh, popular scripture, and I'm sure many of us do know it and are familiar with it. The Bible says in Psalm 91, I'm going to read it from the message. The message is a Bible that I love to read from. It's so simple and very direct. Uh, Do you have it up there, Psalm 91? I can read it from here. You have it there? Okay. Um, You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. If you spend time in God's presence, you sit. Remember, you're not just walking, but you're not driving through. You're not just going uh, because there's a problem. You are sitting. When you sit, it's different. You sit down there in his presence. He will commune with you. And let me let you know, it's not just you gaining from that relationship. God wants to fellowship with us. He wants to meet with us. He wants to speak to us. He doesn't want us to only come to him when we're in trouble. He wants us to seek him 
when there's nothing going on. Just stay in his presence. Just abide there. That's what the Bible says. Another translation says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadows of the Almighty. And he would say of the Lord that he is my refuge. And he, exactly, the, 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 we don't know who exactly wrote this psalm, but I'm grateful they wrote it. Because uh, it's such a blessing to me. He says, he would abide under the shadow. You would stay and say this, God, you are my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. Can you imagine? You find safety in the presence of God. It is priceless what you get in the presence of God. But we're going to look at a guy, um, David, the story of David in the scriptures. That guy, sometimes I look at him and I wonder, what... What, how did God make him? What's his makeup? Because you, you see different parts of him and he's just demonstrating the love of God constantly. The fact that he pursues God with a passion. Remember, this guy didn't cause any problems. He was busy taking care of his father's sheep and when he was called upon. I don't know if we remember the story of Samuel being the, uh, the prophet of that time, the, the priest of that time. And the people decided to revolt against him. They said they wanted a king. They wanted a king that would be over them like other nations. Sometimes we ask God for things because some other people have it. Not knowing whether it is good for us, we just ask. Anyway, Samuel was very offended. And Samuel turned to God. And God said, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. So leave it alone. Just anoint for them a king. And the Bible records that they eventually got a king. His name was Saul. Saul was the tallest, was the most handsome guy, was everything that anybody would have wanted. And they said, oh, yes, we got a king, we got a king. Eventually, David came up. At a point, Saul began to do stuff that God didn't want. So God rejected him. But guess what? He was still on the throne, but he was rejected. He he was still sitting there. Everybody saw him as a king. But in the mind of God, that guy was gone. In fact, under his leadership, God told Samuel, go and anoint one of the children of Jesse. And Samuel got up, went there pretending to go and worship. And even Jesse did not even believe in David. Jesse told, brought all his big sons, the ones that looked like Saul. Come on, come on, come pass before the prophet. And they all came. So you never give up on anyone. They all came and uh, Samuel said, ah, this must, even Samuel was <laughs> deceived. He said, oh, this must be the one. He's lanky, he's tall. But that was not the one. And God said, no. And then after a while, Samuel said, you don't have any other kids? He said, oh, yeah, I have one. He's just back there. He's doing some stuff. He said, bring him. And he said, this is the one. And God chose him and anointed him. Remember, he wasn't looking for that position. God anointed him to be king. While there was another reigning king, it doesn't happen. There was a king on the throne, but David was anointed. And that was the beginning of trouble. And Saul began to chase David all over. Chased him until David ran to the enemies of Israel. The enemies of Israel were the Philistines. He ran to them and became like a bond servant to them. Bonded himself to Achish and began to serve him, began to kill for him, began to do stuff for him. And he did it so well <laughs> that even Achish said, ah, right now, 
even your Israelites will hate you because they won't even want to touch you anymore. But at this point in time, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, the Bible records that the Philistines were going to go to war with the Israelites. And they asked Akish, asked David, prepare your men to come with me. Let us go. Let us go and fight this war. So they prepared like they were going to war. And when they got to the place where they gathered, the princes of the Philistines now said to, said, you're bringing David. Is that not David, uh, the servant of Saul? You're bringing him to this battle? Oh, no. He might get there now and change his mind and begin to fight for uh, the Israelites. No, we can't have him. And Achish went back, and I underlined that. And he told David, he said, you are so good. I love you. You're doing so well. But... The princes of the Philistines will not let me have you to this battle. And David was so pained. David said, you, so you mean I can't go with you? Remember, he's ready for battle. And before I forget, Akish had already given him a land called Ziklag, settled him and his men in Ziklag. So in a territory, they had a location. And David said, so I can't go, but I've been nice to you. I've brought out all the spoils. When I go to battle, I bring everything and I submit them to you. So what have I done that is making you deny me access to this war? The guy said, nothing, but the princes are saying, you can't come with us. So David took himself and the 600 men that were with him. That was a disappointment. He didn't deserve that. Sometimes in our life, there are things we don't deserve. You're doing everything right. Remember, he was doing everything right. Nothing was wrong. His life was all straight. He was doing the things that God had asked him to do. Now, he's getting this bot here, bot there. Everybody is saying no. The doors are shutting down on him. So, he decided to go back to Ziklag. And that's where we're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, New King James. And he got to, when he got to Back to Ziklag. Guess what they found? The whole place was burnt down. Their women, their children, everybody was taken captive away from that place. They all were gone. It says, now it happened. When David and his men came to Ziklag, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burnt it with fire. They didn't just steal from them. They burnt it. And for those that are agriculturists, the ground that is already burnt, you can hardly plant anything that would grow there. So they really made sure that even when David and his men came back, there will be nothing for them to do. There will be no farm. There will be no food. They took their cattle and everything. That's how the wars in those days used to happen. So they took them and it says, uh, and had taken captive the women. And those who were there, from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. They didn't kill them. They took them captive. And you know what that means? Uh, It means the women will become their slaves, and the children probably will be used in child labor. They will use them as house helps and all that, maids in the house. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices 
and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you been in situations where you just cry, 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 and you don't even have any energy to cry anymore? I remember a friend once called me because when my situation was going on, my husband was in and out of the hospital. They were giving diagnosis after diagnosis. In the middle of that, my son was having issues and we were going back and forth. It was like the rain pouring. But I had to keep a strong face for my kids, even for my husband. So I get home and everything was, okay, what can we do to make this better? What can we do to make this better? And I get in my car which is sometimes where, my, where I spend time praying a lot. And I just cry. Sometimes I'm in front of a client's house and I'm just crying for a moment before I walk in there. And one day, a friend called me. That's the advantage of the secret place because secret things will be revealed to you. And she said to me, the Lord showed you to me that you've been crying. If she was not in her secret place, she wouldn't know that because I did not present that front to her. She said, you've been crying. She said, I saw you, that you cried so much. And the Lord said, she is crying. You need to comfort her. So she came to my house, took me out and talked with me for a moment. And I said, how did you even know that? She said, the Lord showed it to me because my friends didn't know. Nobody knew what I was going through. I get to work. And I do my job. I try to do my job. The place where I got comfort from was that secret place. That's where I got comfort. Because every single time it looked like it couldn't go lower, the Lord spoke something to me that encouraged me, that brought joy to me, that made me know that he was with me through it all. A songwriter, Andre Crouch, sang a song that said, Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. He said, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't have known that God could solve it. You wouldn't know. If you didn't have a trial, you wouldn't know that that's something that God could do. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and Carmelite, we can't go into how he got those wives, and had been taken captive. <laughs> then, now David was greatly distressed. He was troubled, for the people spoke of stoning him. You know, when there's a problem, people are looking for who the problem, who caused the problem. And they could very well be pointing that finger back at you that is even in the problem. And so there would be accusations. Well, maybe if you had done this, maybe if you did this, maybe this, maybe that. You see, there are so many voices. That's why you need that secret place. Because that's the only place. That's a place where you go and you can be yourself. You don't need to hide anything. God sees, he sees everything. He goes, the song we sang today says he goes before you even know it to fight your battles. He knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. So you don't need to pretend. For those that are married, you'd, uh, before I got married, I used to think, how can I just take my clothes off for a guy? For what? That's not going to happen. <laughs> and you know, there are some thoughts that come to your head. How can you be washing somebody else's underwear? That's not going to happen. I've been married for, I think, 20 or 21 years now. 21. And um, 
<laughs> I don't even care what he sees, what he doesn't see. I can walk around the house the way I want if my kids are not there. So, <laughs> God, God expects you to be that open to him. He wants to see you just the way you are. And he wants you to see him the way he is. He's a loving father. He's not the uh, uh, headmaster that is holding up a cane and waiting to spank you. He knew, like the story of uh, uh, Adam and Eve, when he was asking them, where are you? And they said, oh, we are hiding because uh, we are naked. Do you think he didn't know? He knew. He knew. So God is asking you to come into that level of relationship with him. Where you are open. You let him know how you feel. When I'm angry, I tell him, I'm really angry. I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm going through this one, and then this one is coming up again. So David was being accused of the problem. He was being accused of being the problem. Why they had, why they had people coming to take their wives. They looked around and said, who can we fight? The Amalekites who took the wives and children, they are no longer there. So obviously David was the enemy. And that's how the devil turns us against ourselves sometimes. David must be the enemy, so let's stone him. He says, because of the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his son and daughters. They had a right to be upset. David got them into trouble, according to their thinking. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Where was he getting that strength from? The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Not in another person's God. Not in another person, but in his own God. Which means he had a personal relationship with God. He had a walk with God that he was assured that no matter what is happening, I need to go back to God. He says, now, but David strengthened himself in God. Then David said to Abiata, the priest, Ahimelech's son, he says, please bring the ephod. Here to me. And Abiata brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord. Listen very carefully. Saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue. For you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. What I learned from that was that. David was a man of war. Remember, he was ready for war. He went out to go fight Israel along with the Philistines. But he was sent back home disappointed that he couldn't go. So he was actually dressed for war when this was happening. So the first instinct that should have come to his mind said, What? They stole my wives? They stole my children? He should just have been going back and saying, I'm going to go get them. That should be the first thing that will come to his mind because he was physically fit for the war. He thought he was mentally fit for the war, but he didn't do that. He called the priest, bring the ephod, sit down, let's find out what does God want us to do. Can we pursue? And if we pursue, would we overtake them? So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. That was an assurance from God. And that was the goal that David needed. Of course, he started going. 
And in the process, we may not be able to read the whole of that scripture. In the process of going to recover all, David and his men were going, they got to a brook. Sometimes you have people that are with you. Oh, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I'm this for you. I'm that for you. I'm telling you, leave them alone if they decide to stop by the roadside. David had 600 men with him. When they got to the brook, uh, some 200 of them said, we're too tired, we can't go anymore. The other 400 were upset at them. But David said, it's okay, they are tired, let them stay here, let's go, let's keep going. And they kept going. David was really a man after God's heart. Then they met an Egyptian guy. They met a guy who was weak, was sick, was just sitting down there, almost dying. They picked in the haste to run and go meet and get their wives. Remember, they had an assignment. But they met someone who was in a very weak position, sitting down there, almost dying. David stopped and said, feed him. Put water, give him water. Feed him. And they kept doing that. In the, in the journey of life, when, you are, when, when, when stuff is happening around you, don't just be self-conscious because there might be still some people around you that God even wants you to reach out to. David reached out to this guy, not knowing that the guy held the key to where their wives and all the things that were stolen from them were. The, the guy sat down there. When he recovered and could speak, David asked him gently, Who are you? He said, Oh, I was with the Amalekites, and we did this. They asked him, there's a song we sing in my village. They didn't ask you, and you're judging everything. You're saying everything. They only asked him, who are you? He said, oh, my name is so-and-so, and and we went to war with the Amalekites. My master was one of the warriors, and when I became so weak, they left me here. We did this. We went to Ziklag. We burnt it down. We did this. He told them, he said, so David now asked him, because he had now told David the secret that, oh, it was the Amalekites. They came here and did this. David now said, okay, can you take me to that company? He said, but if you promise that you will not kill me and you will not give me back to my master, I will surely take you there. Blam. They, they, they started following the guy. The guy became their guide. So when you're going through your situations, don't ignore the people that God put along the way. They may hold the key to the question that you have, the answer to the question, or the key to the door you need to unlock. And David followed that guy. They got there. The people were dancing. They were having their party. They had gone to several cities, kind of taking stuff from people, stolen stuff from people, killed people, taking everything. And David said, okay. He had 400 men. They surrounded these people. Not one person was left alive except those who were on horses. David finished them, took everything. Remember, he didn't just take what they stole from Ziklag. They had been to several cities, stealing and killing. He took more than what was, was his portion. And then he came back. The important thing there is that David did not assume that this was the way to go. So when you're going through situations, people would advise you. People would tell you stuff. You, you even know some stuff because you've gone through some things before. But I beg you, get into that secret place and figure out, God, for this situation, what should I do? Where do I go? And that way, God is not a wicked God. He would speak to you. He would tell you, David got the direction of which way to go. 
in the middle of that storm because he was seeking God. And even as they traveled that road, I'm sure he was connecting with God. That's why he was able to stop to help that man because he would have been in too much of a hurry to even stop. But he did not let the haste deter him from stopping to help someone who was wounded. And that person recovered and showed them where they needed to go. And they went back, got all their wives and children. Everybody was safe. Nobody was lost. And they got more because they collected the other stuff from the other people. In that secret place, you find peace there. I'm telling you. When the storm, people will be asking you, so how are you coping? I mean, people ask me, how are you doing? You are the only one walking. How, how is this? I said, <laughs> it's God though. <laughs> is God and I'm telling you even when I'll share a testimony here my boys went to college somewhere outside the state and I didn't have any money I was even grateful that I had a credit card that I could have handy in case I needed to buy dumb stuff and all that dormitory stuff and I, I had that in my bag a friend called me my husband's friend from Nigeria called me and asked me I know the boys are going to school and and when somebody calls you from Nigeria, I've never collected money from Nigeria before. He was just going, I, he said, oh, I want to be a blessing to them. So I said, he said, give me your account number and how to wire money. I said, I've never gotten money from, <laughs> from Africa before. It's the other way around. So I said, <laughs> I should send you my account number. I said, okay. So I went to the bank and asked them. They gave me, I, I gave it to him. He said, are you sure that's the account? I said, yeah. He said, okay. Uh, then he calls me while I was already way out there in Iowa, he said, um, check your account in two days. The money I wired should be there. I said, it must really be a big amount. I just joked with him. So he laughed. And I checked my account the very next day. He had wired $10,000 to my kids from Africa. I'm not talking about the U.S., I was so, you know how you become so dumbfounded, you just roll on the floor, just worshiping God. You don't even know what song to sing. You don't even know what to do. And I said, God, I said, how did you put me in the mind of this guy? How, he, he said he just, himself and his wife just thought that we would need some support for the kids. And he decided to send that huge money. I was so dumbfounded. I called my husband. I said, do you know what your friend did? He said, he said, I'm so dazed. I don't even know how to say thank you. And guess what? I called them. They won't even pick their phone. That's when you know it's God. I texted them. They said, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it, to him it is sin. That was the response they gave me. And that was it. They shut it down. I'm telling you, God knows you. He knows where you are. He knows your situation. Two weeks ago, I was at work. I mean, my work is partly at home and partly in, in people's homes. So I, I, in the night, I think we came for a Wednesday meeting. I got home, checked my email, and I saw that at about 4.50-something, <laughs> upper management, as we call them, had sent me an email asking me to explain blah, 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 because the state was questioning a particular situation. When I saw that email, my heart sank, and I said, God, did I do anything wrong? God, have mercy. I looked at the email, checked the child's uh, the, the profile and everything. I 
said, well, I did what I was supposed to do. Maybe some of them I didn't document, but I know I verbally had conversation with my manager, with this, with that. I said, so I should be excused. I said, but human being, being human being, when they are asked, they might say, because it's trouble now. Oh, no, we never said that to Gladys. So I prayed and I thought I had taken care of business. So I went to sleep. At about 3 a.m., I woke up. And the first thing that came to my mind was that email. Ah, so I said, God, what is this? Please, I thought I prayed and settled this. This is troubling me. I couldn't even sleep. I didn't even know this was troubling me. The Holy Spirit said to me, the secret place, he said, your manager didn't give you the job. Upper management didn't give you the job. They can't fire you. Go back to sleep. So I took my duvet and pulled it up and slept. In fact, slept so much, by the next morning, uh, opened up my email. I said, I'm not going to respond to this email. I'm going to call. Because why was I doing that? I was at peace because God had told me they can't fire me. So I picked up my phone, called my manager. I said, I know you weren't my manager when this happened. This was like two years ago. I said, but this was what so-and-so said. This was what education said. And I did accordingly. They said they will not back pay this particular person. And I don't, I'm not in charge of payment. So I said, and I told the people that at that time. But they put it all together and said they didn't get paid, blah, blah, blah. Anyway... And the lady said, I understand what you're saying. We don't back pay. That's true. He said, but write them in an email. Write all this in an email and send it to me so that we can, I can talk to upper management. So I said, okay. But I was busy with something that was more pressing. The next thing, my phone rings. She said, Gladys, don't even bother about anything. Just call the two, the, the, the parents and the provider. Tell them to submit their bill. They will pay. I said, okay. And I went ahead and did that. Now, I would have had a sleepless night if I didn't know the secret place, if I didn't get that advantage information that nothing was going to come out of this. And I just put the phone calls together, documented, and left it. I asked her yesterday when I had one-on-one with her. She said, I don't even know the situation, but it's not your business anymore. It's all utilization management now. You find peace in the middle of a storm. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Peace in the middle of a storm is what you get when you go to that secret place. Uh, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So, like I said, it's not a physical location. So you have to create that constant communion with the Lord. That's the only way. It's the only way. Nobody is going to create it for you. Like I said, it's not even a place where I can bring my husband in. We can have our prayer meeting together with my children, yes. With the church, yes. But that secret place, it's just me and God. Because there are some things you can't tell anybody else. In fact, there are some things that God tells you in that place. And you bring it out and you say, oh, sis, you know, the Lord said to me, John, first John, this, 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 this. And you're sharing it and she's looking at you like, "Ah." it doesn't make sense to her because that message was not for her. So there are some things you get in that place you're not even supposed to share with other people. So, but some of us sometimes just take it and say, ah, I got a new revelation. That revelation was for you. It's for you. It, it has a purpose for you. So dwell on it and, you know, deal with it. Brokenness. Sometimes Christians think broken people, are, brokenness is um, only for unbelievers. No. It is where you position your heart to depend on God completely. You have to, uh, Psalm 51, we might not be able to read that, verse 17. It says, a broken and a contrite heart, 
that will not despise. You come to God just the way you are, open, broken, whatever state you are, he's willing to, 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 to use the balm of Gilead to rub you and to make you feel better. You never go in God's presence and come out the same way you were feeling. If you were feeling bad before, the presence of God would take that away from you. And remember, God is also enjoying that presence, that visit, that time you're spending with him. It's not just you enjoying it. God is also enjoying it. He wants to talk with you. He wants to see you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to take you to the next level. Intimately, he wants to know you. Goodness and mercy are found in his presence, in that secret place. You find goodness. We'll read that, Lamentation 3, verse 25 and 26. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. 26. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly. That is, not with noise. Sometimes we say we're waiting and we're making a lot of noise and telling everybody. God wants us to wait quietly for the salvation, for his salvation for us. Strength to wait on the Lord is obtained in his presence in that secret place. Isaiah, that's a popular scripture, Isaiah 40, verse 27 to 31. It says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary His understanding is unsearchable. That means even when the enemy is telling you that your situation is so bad that nothing can be done, when you remember that God is still involved in your situation, that gives you strength. So when you you stay in his presence and wait for him, he says, uh, go ahead, 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So when you wait on the Lord, when you go into that secret place, he gives you strength. You get strength from there. And Psalm 91 uh, talks about some conditions, some promises. Towards the end, verse 14, he says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. Because you set your love before God. When you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. So because you have set your love upon God, he will deliver you. I don't care what the problem is. He will deliver you from it. And that's, that's what I stand upon. Every time I see situations, the devil was going to mess up my son's life. I had to go in the secret place and say, you told me. Because before they were born, that's a story I can't even tell now. Before these kids were born, so many things we, God had told us, we had prayed about. And then they came now. And the enemy. So because God told you something does not mean the enemy will not want to fight. You've got to fight. And the way you get strength in to do that battle is in that secret place. And I said, uh-uh. 
they, when ministers come, they prophesy over them. They say things over them. Some of those things we already knew. But the, when the enemy came, he was going to take them out. But guess what? God had shown me before. I had seen them before. So I was able to say, ah, not here. It can't work. Praise the Lord. And there's safety and security. Psalm 91 verse 15. It says, Psalm, 51 verse, uh, Psalm uh, 91 verse 15. Do you have it up there? It says, because he has set his love. No, that's 14. 15. Okay. There's safety and security. Okay. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. That's the person dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. He says, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Honor him. It's not just when God decides to honor a man, everybody will know that the person is honored. And he says he will give us long life. How many of us want long life? You find it dwelling in his presence, in his secret place. I just want to encourage us tonight. Let's bow down our heads individually. Talk to God. Some of us have that secret place we run to all the time. Some of us don't even have a clue. But I will tell you, if you desire to know God in a more intimate way, he's not shy of showing himself to you. He will show himself. It doesn't matter if you just got saved last night, tonight, or ten years ago. He is still willing to show himself to you as a mighty God. Even when you are distressed, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 to 10 talks about Paul being distressed, being tossed around. But he knew on the inside, there was an assurance inside of him that God never left him. God can't leave him. When you have that secret place that you go into, you would have that assurance that you are safe. He wants to keep you safe. He's not a man that he should lie. So when the enemy brings it to your mind that, oh, this is not true, it can't happen. Maybe it happened in the Bible days, but it can't happen now. That's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So you just talk to God this evening and say, God, I want to know you more. I want to experience you in my inward part. I want to know you in a more intimate way, so much so that I can be myself in your presence, so that I would have peace when trials come, because they will come. If you've not had any, just wait. Keep living. You will see them. And when they come, we're not supposed to be scared of them because we already have the promise that we are overcomers. So you look at the situation and you say, I already know about you and I overcame you by the blood of the Lamb because you really know it. Father, we just ask tonight that you will draw us nearer to you. You will cause us to seek you when you may be found. To seek you in our secret places where no man, no other person even knows about. But we know we have a connection with you. Help us to know you more. To love you more. Daily. In the name of Jesus. Amen.